We're turning in the Gospels tonight to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, John's Gospel, chapter 12. The cross is not far off for the Savior. John chapter 12, we're going to break in at verse 23. Let's hear the Lord's word. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever, and how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. And the Lord will add his blessing to the reading from his word for his name's sake. Please bow with me and just for a moment. We'll turn to the Lord and ask him for his help. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we come again. Lord, we need thee. This preacher needs thee. The hearer needs thee. We pray that thou wilt, according to thine own promise, tabernacle thyself among us. Stand beside the preacher in the pulpit and bear him along in the message. Sit beside thy people in the pew. May they hear the still small voice of the Lord saying, This, this is the way. Walk ye in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, it's on Colossians chapter 1, that Christ is the head of the church, the body. Christ is the head of the body, the church. In Ephesians 1.22, he writes that God has put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Again, in Ephesians 5.23, Paul writes that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Interesting thought there. A woman by the name of Rachel Held Evans died yesterday, the day before. She was a proponent of um, liberalism as far as the Christian faith is concerned. She uh, denied that uh, there is uh, a complementarian relationship between the husband and wife, but egalitarian, which means there is no leader in a marriage. There is no head. Both parties are equal in authority and power. She's now has left this world. What world she went into, I do not know. But she certainly was opposed to what Paul was plainly teaching in Ephesians 5, Christ is the head of the church, and the husband is the head of the wife. There is much that this truth teaches us about Christ and being the head, his relationship to all believers, all of those who are members of his body. He's the head, we're members of the body. It certainly teaches us that Christ is the source of the Christian spiritual life. Was the head. Without the head, the body is without life. Paul refers to this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, where he speaks of Christ as the head from which, note that, the head from which all the body, by joints and bands having nourishment ministered, and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. The growth of the body comes as a result of its union with the head. The very reason a Christian has eternal life dwelling within him is because he has been brought into spiritual union with Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. As we saw this morning, it is Christ's resurrected life that is in us when the Holy Ghost gave us the new birth. Born again, something, something drastic took place. Never to be repeated. Brought into union with the life of Jesus Christ. The headship of Christ over the church also declares that the glory of the church is Christ. The glory, the real glory of the church is Christ himself. Paul writes in Colossians 1.18 that Christ is the head of the body, the church, that in all things he might have the preeminence. It's not in our hands that we give the most honor. It's not these members. It's not our legs. It's not our feet. It's the head that gets the most honor. Christ alone as the head of the church is all of her glory. We have nothing to boast in as members except the head. 
We have no ground for getting proud about anything. No, no ground for condescension. No ground for arrogance. Christ is all of our glory. He is all of our boast. Paul kept repeating that. The only thing I'm going to boast in is Christ. You even heard him tonight as we read through 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You heard Paul saying, I'm going to boast a little bit in the flesh. I speak as a fool. He was driving them a point, of course, because these false apostles, they were boasting in themselves and their talents and their gifts and their apostleship. I'm going to boast a little bit here. I speak as a fool. I have nothing to boast in, he said. My only boasting, the only thing I glory in is Jesus Christ. Christ is all the glory of the church. And the more Christ is manifested in the life of his people, the more the members of the body give to him that rightful place as, as the head, the more glorious the church becomes. Our, I mean, there is a glory that we have. We're the people of God. We're the, we're, we're the chosen of Christ. And there is a glory that we have, but it's the glory that comes from the Savior. So the more that we manifest Christ in our lives, the more glorious we become, because all of our glory is Christ, you see. There's a magnificence that shines out from us. There's something attractive, something lovely, something beautiful about the Christian who is giving Christ that rightful place as the head of my life. Indeed, when the church of Christ finally is saved to sin no more, when she shall be what she should be, as the hymn writer puts it, then will all creation see that the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. The Lamb. But there's a third truth taught in the fact that Christ is the head of the church, and that is the truth that takes our attention for a little bit this evening. Not, not only is, is Christ as head, the source of the church's life and the glory of the church, but it's evident from all of this that Christ is the leader of the church, the captain. I quoted Ephesians 1, 2. The Father hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So Christ is the only king, head, of his people. As the only head of the church, therefore, he is her monarch, her master, her lord, her lawgiver, her leader. Now, that, of course, makes all of Christ's people, irrespective of their standing in life, it makes them followers of Christ. If Christ is your head, if he's your lord, he's your master then that means you are a follower of Jesus. Any man who says that he's saved, that he's a Christian, he's confessing that he is a follower 
of Christ. That a man can be a Christian and not follow Christ is something completely foreign to the Word of God. It can't be. The members of the body go where the head goes. Christ made this absolutely clear when he said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He pointed out that the sheep were not going to recognize the voice of the false shepherd, which the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and lawyers were. The sheep don't recognize, and that's why they're not going to follow them. They're false. Now, God was gracious, you know, in using sheep to describe Christians. Because while it's in the nature of sheep to follow the voice of the shepherd, their leader, it's also the nature of sheep to wander away from the flock. But even, even after all of their wanderings away, they are still sheep and they still recognize the shepherd's voice. And they're still brought back to follow him because he's their leader. He's their master. Verse 26, I want to take as my launching pad tonight. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. There's an old hymn that we've sung for many, many years. Whether Baptist or Presbyterian, it makes no difference. Where he leads me, I will follow. And that's what I want to deal with tonight. Where he leads me, I will follow. First thing I want us to consider is the meaning of following Christ. What does it mean to follow him? I don't want to assume, I don't want to take for granted that everybody is on the same page when we come to what does it mean to actually follow Jesus as the head, as the leader? I want to approach the answer to that question first in a negative, from the negative side of things and then from the positive. Following Christ means in the first place that Christians are certainly not to follow themselves. They are not to view themselves as the leaders of their lives. Once someone has been saved by grace, he automatically becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. He relinquishes the throne of his heart to the Savior. Now it's the Lord of his life. Christ said, ye call me Lord, and you, and you say, well, you do right in calling me Lord. I am your Lord. I am your sovereign. You're my servants. No longer does the disciple of Christ hold himself to be the one in charge. He's not the captain of his fate. Christ is the captain. So following Christ means that Christians certainly are not to follow themselves. And by that I mean when it comes to living out our practical life day in and day out, no matter what we're doing or where we are, this is not just, you know, following the Lord when you have these big decisions to make. It's just the daily common way of life. 
one of the things we are never to follow is our own feelings. We're not to be led by our feelings. I'm not saying that feelings aren't going to play into discerning where is the Lord going, where is He leading me, but we are not to follow our feelings as if, you know, they are somehow infallible. You know, have you, maybe you've said it yourself, I just had this gut feeling. And you did something based upon a gut feeling. You said something based upon a gut feeling. You went down a certain path. You made certain decisions based upon a gut feeling. Well, I felt I ought to do this or ought to do that. But the problem is feelings, they come and go like the wind. You can feel one way that I should do this today and you can feel the opposite tomorrow. Because something has changed. Wants and desires come and go, and your feelings and mine are simply not dependable. Do you realize how much tragedy has been wrought? How deep has been the difficulties that Christians have gotten themselves into because they have gone on a feeling? I felt it was right. But they were following themselves. Of course, you know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as well as I do. We're not to follow our own understanding. I don't mean that we're not to use our, our brains, our intellect, our minds that God has given to us. I, I mean that the Lord does not ultimately want us to depend on our own understanding as far as his leading goes, our own logic, our own reasoning powers. That will get us into trouble. We are... We're so prone to depend upon logic and depend upon how we understand things, and we like to walk by sight and not by faith. Faith will look at something that seems impossible logically and says, nope, it's going to be done. But you won't go the right way if all you're depending upon is your understanding of the issue. You'll make some bad decisions. And you will not manifest that Jesus Christ is the head of your life, that you're following him. If you're following your understanding, you're not following it. Of course, we ought never to follow our own will unless we're absolutely certain and we've gotten that certainty from God's Word and God's Spirit that that will is inclined towards and doing the will of Christ. You don't follow, well, I want to do this. It doesn't matter how much you want something. It's what the Lord wants. This also means, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ as the leader, as the captain of our souls, that then means that Christians are certainly not going to follow the world. 
Jesus said in John 7, 7 that the world hates him. Hates him. Despises him. Has no love. There's, there, there's, there is no kinship. The world is an enemy of Christ. He, it is an enemy of our Savior, of our leader, of our husband. So what in the world do we have any business following John 15, verse 19, If ye were of the world, he says to his disciples, the world would love his own, but because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Why in the world would you follow someone that hates you? If they hate you, they only want to do you evil. They want to do you harm. Why would you follow them? Christ prays in John 17, I have given them, his disciples, thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So that means that if we're following Christ, it will take us farther and farther away from the world, and not closer and closer to the world. That's a great way to measure your own walk with God. Am I being drawn closer and closer to this world and the things this world loves and the things this world does, or am I being taken farther and farther away from it? So am I following Jesus? Because I'll tell you one thing, Jesus is not going to lead his people closer to the world. Following Jesus will take you and me away from the world's way of thinking. The world has a mindset. It's got a view of life, a view of people, a view of God, a view of holiness, a view of sin. And to follow Christ is going to take us away from that mindset of the world. And that would be another... I, 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 I probably couldn't get a, a whole series on the mindset of the world. But that actually means it's going to take us away from the world's fashion, which is always changing like the wind. What is fashionable to the world. Is that what we follow? The world's fashion. Do you actually think that the fashion of the world, since the world is an enemy of Christ, and the world hates Christ, that the world's fashion is something you'd want to actually follow? Is there something good there? Surely, if we're following Christ, we're going to be led farther away from the world's language. The world has a filthy mouth. A filthy, filthy mouth. A filthy vocabulary. Jesus is not going to lead us to follow the world's language. He's not going to do that. He will lead us away from it.
tell you something else, he'll lead us away from this world's music. What was the what was the the Christian rock song back in the eighties? Why does the devil have to have all the good music? And they were advocating. Hey, the, the devil's got rock and roll. Christians can have it too. Surely the Lord Jesus Christ is going to lead his people away from the world's great pursuits, what they clamor after, and what they live for. So you can understand why following Jesus means that you're going to be an oddball. it, It is inevitable. You're going to be strange. And that's exactly what we're going to come to this in First Peter. They think you're strange that you don't run with them. They think you're a freak. And Peter says, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's the old pride that kicks in. We don't want people to think that we're strange, and so we want to somehow, you know, walk that tight line and try to be as acceptable as we can to the world. But if you're following Jesus, that's, let me tell you, folks, he he was absolutely looked upon as a freak by the religious crowd, by the world. So much so, they wanted to get rid of him. Of course, following Christ means that Christians are not to follow a man. It's a common problem in the church. Um, The church at Corinth had that issue. Some were saying, I am of Apollos. He's my man. Some said, I'm of Peter. Others said, I am of Paul. And Paul rebukes them sharply for declaring their allegiance to a man. You're following a man. Well, God has set men in the church to hold offices of authority and and of leadership, elders and teachers and pastors, men to whom the people of God are commanded by the Holy Ghost to yield respect and submission. Nevertheless, they're still men, and they're not Christ. Because they're still men, they make mistakes. Because they're still men, they have flaws. They're not infallible. How many Christians have been sadly disappointed when they have allowed some man to take the place of Jesus Christ in their life? They came to depend 
on a man who was of the same dust of the ground that they came from. And his words began to mean more to them than Christ's words. It was for his approval that they sought, not Christ's approval. It was for a man that they labored and did all that they did, wanted to be pleasing to a man. And somehow they forgot about Jesus Christ because they were following a man. One day they discovered that he was just a man after all. And my, their world came crashing down around them. He was just a man. They were disappointed. Have I ever disappointed you? Well, I don't want to say, well, I will tell you, I know beyond all doubt I have disappointed you. Somewhere along the line, in these last 17 years, I have disappointed you. And you know what? It's good. Because you've seen I'm just a man. I'm not Christ. Just a man who's trying to follow Christ. But just a man. On the positive side of things, following Christ means that Christ's disciples listen for his voice. That's what you want to have been doing tonight throughout the message, listening for the voice of, of the leader. It's, it's not my voice, really. You know, I'm not talking about an audible voice that you're going to sit in the walls. You know, I'm, not, I'm talking about the still, small voice of Christ's Spirit speaking to you in your own heart. And you know that's the Lord talking to me. He just put his finger on something he had no idea about in my life. But the Lord knew. You can know right in there, Christ is speaking to you. But you need to be listening for his voice. You can listen to sermons all day long, brothers and sisters. But my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Every time we meet together, you are to be listening for the voice of your leader, your king, your shepherd. What was the word for me today? What did the Master have to say to me today? Do we actually want to go through a Lord's Day, coming to the house of God, without hearing from the Master, without hearing something? If it's just a little word, don't you want to be able to say, the Lord spoke to me today? Following Christ means they go wherever he leads. We're not to map out our own course in life. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's simply ours to know where the Master wants us to go or not go and then follow. 
That's it. Do I stay? Do I go? Where do I go? Where do I not go? It is that simple. We're followers. Wherever he leads, we follow. I know all too well what it's like to sing the hymn, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. It's easy to sing it. But when the Lord leads you to a path or down a path that you know this involves sacrifice, this is difficult, and you find out it's more than just a hymn that you sing, that you like the tune. You've got to mean it. Where he leads me, I will follow. It also means, following Christ, that we go where he has gone. That's what it is to follow. That's what following is all about. It's, it's taking the path that Christ has already taken. He's in front, you're behind, he's gone there, it's going where he has gone. It's about imitating the master. Walking in his footsteps, going where he has gone. Not going off on our own, it's following him. That's basically the meaning. Nothing profound there. The profundity comes in the following, actually carrying this out in our lives. Secondly, the marks, the characteristics following Christ. What, what, what path did Christ take that we are to follow? What, what marks someone who is following Jesus? First mark is surrender. As long as there are two leaders, there can be no followers. So, to follow Christ means that you have surrendered your will to His will. Indeed, it's what the hymn writer calls full surrender. Surrendering everything in your life to Christ. Laying at His feet anything and everything that would hold you back from following Him, that would put you off from the path that Christ is leading you down. Leading you. Surrender. You remember that young man who came up to Jesus Christ, so anxious, good master, what would I do to inherit eternal life? Christ said, well, you know the law, keep the commandments, so and so forth, to which are your... Which commandment? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother, love thy neighbors thyself. But I've kept all these from my youth. Oh, one thing thou lackest. Go sell whatever you have, give the proceeds to the poor, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. That young man went away grieved because he had great possessions. I can't surrender that. I can't give it up. At that point in time, you don't follow Christ. 
At that point in time, you stop following Christ when there's no surrender. He told to Matthew, the publican, the tax collector, who made a lot of money in his ill-gotten gains of being a tax collector for Rome. He said, follow me. And he arose and followed him. He left it all behind. How am I going to make the ends meet? I don't have this means of income of overcharging people in their taxes and pocketing the money. I'm not going to be a tax collector anymore. How in the world am I going to make ends meet? It didn't matter to him. Jesus said, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Peter and Andrew, fishermen, that's how they made their living. They had families. In fact, Peter had a mother-in-law to take care of. Jesus said to them one day, follow me. And they left all and followed him. There's the crunch, you know. When you have to surrender everything, all, and follow him. If you and I are in earnest about being sincere followers of Christ, we want to get beyond the name only and be true followers, then we must, we must know personal surrender of everything to Christ. Everything. There's nothing we put off limits. Lord, whatever you want. I surrender all. It's easy to say those words. It's even easier to sing that hymn. But doing it, it requires grace from God. Samson lost his strength when he lost his hair. It's not that there was some kind of secret biological formula between his hair and his strength, but the, the uncut hair was a mark of his Nazarite vow. It was a symbol of his consecration to the Lord. But when Samson lost his consecration, he lost his strength. Funny enough, when his hair grew back, he was ready to surrender all to the Lord, even his own life. Of course, that would mean in the second place that following Christ is going to be marked by not only surrender, but by self-denial. Jesus said, follow me. Well, what does that mean? Well, Christ denied himself. Very God a very God, yet Christ laid aside his glory, and the Creator became a servant to the creature. The Creator became a servant, a bond slave to the creature. That's, that's, that's astounding. 
And so we have to follow him there. We have to imitate the Lord if we're going to be followers of Jesus and more than word only. In Luke 9, 23, he said to them all, If any man will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So he's got a cross. It's his cross. And he is to take that cross up daily. Not weekly. Not once a month or once a year. But daily take up that cross and bear it. Deny himself. Nothing pleasant about bearing a cross. It's painful. Painful to the flesh. We, we, we are living in a generation of Christians who want nothing to do with cross. My humble opinion, brothers and sisters, living in a generation of Christians who don't want anything to do with cross-bearing. It's, want a smooth sailing life. Don't talk about sacrifice. Don't talk about surrender. Although you can preach about it, but don't expect me to do it. <laughs> surrender? Self-denial? Put me out? Disrupt my day? Disrupt my week? It's unconscionable. It's unbelievable, but it's unconscionable. He said this to them all. No one is exempted. Daily, no day is excluded. It's about death to me. Isn't that where you found your real problems in life? Isn't that? It's, it's about me, me, me. It's when me wants its way, wants its thing, that problems arise. They arise in relationships. They arise in the church. They arise all around you because it's not death to me. And I want what I want. My pride has been hurt. My feelings have been hurt. We don't like it. We rear back. And the result, the behavior that flows from that is so unlike Jesus Christ. It's not following Him. It's not imitating Him. There's real suffering involved in self-denial. That's why he said the cross, take up the cross. They understood that. They, they knew what that meant. They understood when he said, with the Son of Man be lifted up. They knew he meant crucifixion. Well, the Bible says, they were saying, the Bible says he has... Uh, um, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth, the Messiah abideth forever. And how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? How is he going to die? You're talking about crucifixion. 
They got it. The cross was about death. Now Jesus is saying, you're going to follow me. You take up your cross and you take it up every day. There's no break from it. There's no break from it. Self-denial. The moment we neglect that, is we stop following Jesus. And you know what's going to happen when you stop following him. You're going to go down a wrong path. There's only one path of safety. He humbled himself. It's about putting self-will and self-love and self-pleasure on the cross. And that's painful. But Jesus said, did he not? That the man who loves his life is going to lose it. But he that hates his life, that's the one that's going to find it. The man that won't deny himself now for the sake of his soul, the man who will not follow Christ, in this will find at length that he has lost everything. But the disciple of Jesus who has buried his love for the world with all of its trinkets, its pleasures, its honors, its rewards. That man who is ready to cast away the thing that is most dear to him in this life, if it stands in the way of his soul, that one will find that he's not a loser. I haven't lost anything because I'm following Jesus. And how can I lose if I follow him? Isn't that what the Lord was driving home when he said, if a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it remains alone? It produces nothing? Just falling into the ground does nothing. It's when it dies, then there's a harvest. It just sits there and doesn't die, doesn't disintegrate and fall apart. There's not going to be any, any sprout coming up. One of the wondrous things about that. He was talking about himself. There's going to be a great harvest through my death, through my cross. And so he says, follow me. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. Which leads me in the third place to say that following Christ is marked by service. Service. Service is about ministry. Ministering to others. We're very good, and understandably so, we're very good about ministering to our own needs taking care of ourselves. 
We love ourselves. Let's face it. In fact, that's okay to do that. Love your neighbor as you would yourself. There's, there's a good thing about loving yourself in the right way. You don't want to hate yourself. But we take it to the extreme. It's the love of self to the point where others are ignored. We so much can be caught up in ministering to our own needs that we are totally oblivious to the needs of others. Primarily, you know, our life as Christian disciples is about ministering to Christ. There's all kinds of ways we can do that, but we're here in this world. We're, we're servants. We're disciples of the Lord. He's the master. Our, 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 our big responsibility and obligation is to keep ministering to Jesus Christ. And doing something to prove that we really do want to serve Him. That we understand that our life really is all about serving the Lord, ministering to Jesus. Well, He went about doing good. So Luke says He went about doing good. What good did He do? Well, He supplied the wants of people. He fed people. He healed them. He was always doing good from sun up to sundown. He was ministering to people. Isn't it interesting that you and I have been called upon to minister to Christ's needs? That Jesus has needs that we need to minister to. Christ has needs? Well, yes. I was hungered, and ye fed me. I was naked, and ye clothed me. Lord, when saw we thee hungry or naked, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren? Ye have done it unto me. You've ministered to me. If you've ministered to my people. That's following Jesus. We sang tonight, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. So the question you would want to ask yourself, I guess, is what am I doing? What am I doing to minister to the Lord? What am I doing to serve the Lord if that's what discipleship looks like, if that's what following Christ is marked by, serving Christ, by Christ's own words, that's what it means, then what service am I rendering to Him? Following Christ is also marked by a single lie. Do you remember that scene in John 21, post-resurrection? The disciples have gone fishing at Peter's suggestion. And they're out there, and they didn't catch anything, and the Lord appears on the seashore. They don't know who it is. Children, have you any meat? John recognizes right away, it's the Lord. 
Oh, Peter, follow. <laughs> Peter, you just know what he's going to do. He just jumps in and starts swimming. He's not going to wait for the boat to row up. He wants to see the Lord. They have that breakfast on the shore. There's fish by the Lord's miraculous power. Peter is so full of energy and divine power, he brings the whole 159 fish, brings it up by himself to the shore. And they have a nice meal there. And Christ and John, and well, Christ and Peter go off talking. And John's following behind. And he looks around and sees John. After Christ has told him, Peter, you know, you're going to follow me in death. You're going to die. The suggestion is he's going to be crucified like I was. Well, John looks back and Peter looks back and sees John there. Well, what about him? What is that to thee? Follow thou me. You just put your eye on me, Peter. Don't worry about John. Just keep your eye on me. Don't worry about what someone else is doing. Just keep your eye on me. Boy, that is safety. You can be looking here and looking yonder. What are they doing? What are they thinking? What are they saying? Forget it. Forget it. A single eye upon Christ. The next one's a hard one. Convicting. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. So for following Christ, it'll be marked by seeking for sinners. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Follow me, he says. I'll make you fishers of men. Followers of Christ are seekers of sinners. They'll all have their own ways, their own unique talents and gifts and abilities to do that, but still, followers of Christ will want to see sinners saved. I confess that these these are these are old paths. We are living in a generation that wants to strike out on new paths. They want new doctrines, invent new ways to serve the Lord. But it comes bound down to the fact that if you want to serve Christ, then you must follow Him. You must be content to walk in His footsteps, however old those footsteps are. And go where Christ leads you. We are to lay our thoughts, our opinions, our judgments at the feet of Christ and do what He bids us to do simply because He gives the command. That's it. Anything else is not following. Well, what are the rewards? Four things. First place is the assurance you'll have Christ's presence. 
That makes sense, doesn't it? If you're following Him, you're going to be enjoying His presence. So, 26, verse 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. Where I am, my servant's going to be there. He will have my presence. So, we have to take seriously Moses' heart and his mentality there in the wilderness. If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Something we lose out, you know, when we go our own, pay, our own path and our own way. There's something about this enjoyment of the presence of Christ that we lose because we're not following Him. We're following ourselves, we're following a man, or following the world. It always leads us away from the enjoyment of Christ's presence, just as much as following Him. We know the sunshine of His face. We feel the warmth of His presence. It melts the coldness of heart that can creep over us so easily. You sense the Lord is near. That certainly puts an end to your fear. Because you're safe when you're in His presence. You draw strength from being in His presence. You know that your needs will be supplied. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Did you get that? Goodness and mercy following you. Why are they following you? Because you are following the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You'll also be rewarded with growth in likeness to Christ. What is, it, what is likeness to Christ but to be like Him, but to follow Him, to imitate Him, to go where He has gone, to do what He says for you to do, to obey the Master? Is that not Christ-likeness? Can we have anything more indicative of likeness to Christ than following Jesus? There's the blessing of Christ's joy in following Him. We talked about the cross, and the cross is always painful. I grant you that. Self doesn't want to die, but when you put self on the cross, it ends up, at the end of the day, you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. What was at the end of Christ's path, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame? The joy that was set before him. You remember the hymn, There is joy in serving Jesus. There's joy in service. There's misery in not serving him. But there's joy. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Then there's the promise of honor. If any man serve me, that's because he's following him. Him will my father honor. The Lord will honor, God the Father will honor those who follow His Son. Honor in this life, 
<laughs> it doesn't really mean, I don't care about the world's honors. They, they, what good are they? But when the Lord honors you, it's well worth it. And I'll tell you one thing, it's going to be worth the honor that we're going to get at the end of time. When we're given that crown, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. There is therefore laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself shall give me on that day, not to me only, but to all those that love his appearing. honor which we'll be quite happy to cast back down at his feet where he leads me I will follow the Lord write his word on our hearts for his name's sake we bow in prayer Lord, we come to the end of this meeting and we remember that there are certainly times in life when we really don't know where Thou art leading. We don't know what Thou art doing. But truly, Lord, those times in the great scheme of things are few and far between. The great bulk of our lives, Lord, thou hast clearly marked the path we are to follow. It's not a question of not understanding the will of the Lord. We thank thee that thou hast spoken plainly in thy word about where Christ leads and where he doesn't lead. And we pray that thy spirit will shine more light upon the road that leads to the Lamb, that leads in that path. For, Lord, we do want to please thee. We want to honor thee with our lives. We want to obey the Master. We want to bring joy to the Lord, not grieve his spirit. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.